You are listening to the Mission Matters Podcast Network, where we amplify the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and experts. Hey, y'all. We are so fortunate today to have President of the International Personal Development Association, Steve Siebold, with us for this episode of The Optimized Mind. Welcome, Steve. Thanks so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, Kate. Awesome. So, Steve, listen, you have quite a backstory in all that you've done. Tell us a bit about what you're doing now with the International Personal Development Association. Yeah, I've been in the personal development space for about, well, as a fan for about 35 years and as a practitioner, a speaker, author for about 25 years. I've given speeches on mental toughness training, done corporate turnarounds of sales teams for about 25 years uh, before COVID. And I've written 12 books on it. And recently we, we, we formed this International Personal Development Association to kind of bring together the personal development community from around the world, which obviously numbers in the tens of millions of people. No one knows exactly how many people there are out there because in the space, just because it's never been, the groups have never, the people have never been gathered before. And that was kind of the concept we had that all these crazy things, the world's upside down for all the reasons we all know, and it's happening worldwide. You know, it's not just in the United States, but all over the world. And we just thought it would be the time to band together as a force for good. In a nutshell, I mean, the premise of it is to help reduce human suffering all the way to thriving. And so we're real excited about that. We got a good start. We have almost 400 members. The first of Today is our 30-day anniversary, and we have 400, just under 400 members. I think we're at 392 or something like that. And uh, so we're excited about the launch. That is awesome. That is so, so awesome. And it, it absolutely fits at this you know time, right? The world is upside down, as you mentioned, and really helping people to get in touch with what's going well in them and around them and to foster that towards thriving feels like it's so, so important right now. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's just, there, you know, all we hear about are the terrible things that are going on. And obviously there are terrible things happening, but this is the greatest time to be alive in the history of the world. And there's a lot of data and evidence to back that up. But we don't hear about those things. As you know, we hear about the war and the pandemic and the crazy politics and all the rest of it. But, you know, that's fine. But I think we need we need something to offset all the craziness to remind people that this is the greatest time to be alive in the world, no matter where you live. It's just for so many reasons, not the least of which is technology, as we're using right now, talking to each other across the country, you know, where it feels like we're sitting right next to each other in a room. But uh, it's just a great time to be alive. And I think we want to remind people of that. And there's hope left in the world. And there's joy and happiness and good things left in the world, even though it's a little bit crazy on the other side. Yeah, I hear you. Makes a lot, a lot of sense. And I think it's a wonderful, wonderful direction to kind of be taking folks. So how is it going to kind of unfold? How are you going to build this thing out such that, you know, the revolution, as you've called it, moves forward? Yeah, we we it just keeps growing in scope, you know, like any other project that you have that's that's of this, it kind of just keeps growing. And we're getting emails from, from members every day saying, hey, I've got an idea here and there. We're we're just encouraging people by uh, you know, saying, Hey, we're put, sending quotes out, for example, you know, positive quotes out from different authors and thinkers and philosophers and that type of thing from you know the past, the, the present. And we're asking people, post on your social media, do things like that. Call people up that you haven't talked to in a long time. See how they're doing. I mean, you know, depression rates are soaring, as you know, as a psychologist, depression rates are through the roof, suicide rates are through the roof. People are feeling a lot of times, you know, a lot of people are feeling hopeless. And we're trying to offset that by saying, let's do whatever we can to reduce human suffering, which includes 
depression and feelings and thoughts of hopelessness. And just so whatever we can do to do, we're kind of developing the whole platform, but whatever it is, we're trying to get members to reach out one by one. It doesn't have to be some grand gesture where we're changing the world in 24 hours. We're saying just reach out to one person a day, you know, encourage people, uh, let them know that you're you're there for them and you're thinking about them and, and you want them to be happy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So this idea of bringing happiness to the forefront, bringing well-being to the forefront, helping people to thrive in that way. So, so important. As you mentioned, I mean, yeah, people are, are struggling out there. And so fostering this type of resilience, in a sense, is really, really important. I think it really is. Just reminding people, these are just basic personal development messages that have been around forever. You know, they probably were, you know, a derivative of, of the great religions. So it's sort of, we, we always say we're kind of like a, a secular church almost. That's kind of how we're thinking about there's there's no God in this particular church, but the same ideas of, of positive thinking and empowerment and all the all the good things, the thing, you know, gratitude, the things that make people feel good. That's what we're trying to promote. And it's it's a very basic message. We're just trying to do it on a grand scale. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I imagine that your platform as a professional speaker will really help to promote and foster this movement. Yeah, we're picking up all kinds of speakers, college professors, professionals, mental health professionals, people that just really enjoy personal development. They're fans of the process where we're, we're developing personal development professionals to gain, to, to get into the business, to enter the business. Because we feel like the more people that are trained to go out there and speak and write and talk and about personal development of, of whatever flavor, the more people get helped. And so we're trying to promote the industry at the same time as promoting the cause. And it feels like there's an intersection here with sort of the work that you've done in the mental toughness space and kind of helping people build in that direction. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny because it's not funny, but it's interesting how I just, you know, when I started this whole mental toughness program, and that's what I've been giving speeches about my whole career. It came from being a professional tennis player in the 1980s and, and then coaching top professional tennis players, Olympic athletes and other athletes and that type of thing in mental toughness. And one of the things that I really didn't know back then was that, you know, different people have, everyone has a happiness, sort of a predisposition for feelings of happiness and feelings of hope and feelings of, you know, positive feelings. And I didn't really get that until I've been doing the work for a long time. I've worked all over the world. And then and then I bumped into Martin Seligman at the University of Pennsylvania. And I've been a fan of his books for years. And Marty at that time was trying to, he just had the idea. This is probably 2000, 1999, 2000, 2001. He had the idea for the positive psychology movement. And I was part of his initial team that, you know, with Mike sent me high from Claremont and so many other top psychologists that we all met in the Gallup building in Washington. And Martin Seligman talked about the idea that, you know, a lot of people don't have this predisposition for happiness. They have a, including him. And that's what he said. He had, they have a predisposition for feelings of depression. And it's not something because like I scored, for example, in the 98 for Marty's test for that whole program for positive psychology, I tested in the 98 percentile in terms of predisposition for happiness. And I, I mentioned it at the meeting and Marty said, Hey, don't brag about it. Like it's something you created. It's something you were born with, you know? And, and he goes, then other people on the other side are born with 98% of the time they're feeling down or depressed or skeptical. And it's not anything they did wrong. And that this predisposition for these feelings really just shocked me to the core. Cause I thought, I thought I was doing it because I was mentally tough. So I thought I was optimistic because I was mentally tough. Well, I was wrong. Certainly there's things you can do to help yourself, but predisposition certainly is a major factor in the equation. And that changed everything the way I approached this whole process. Fascinating. And you're right on there because it's true. Some people are just wired to be kind of 
more on the less optimistic side. Some people are wired more to be on the more optimistic side. And then human nature somewhat dictates that we sort of focus day to day on the things that didn't go well, the things that we should have done better, all the shoulds, right? So I work a lot with my clients on trying to focus in each day on three to five things that did go well. We call it our daily wins journal, our daily wins exercise, and sort of jotting those things down over time really can make a huge difference in sort of moving that needle at least to the midpoint if, in fact, they are more on the less optimistic side. So it's a really great point that you make, and glad to hear for your sake that you're predispositionally wired towards being optimistic. And I'm sure that served you well over time. Luck of the draw. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I thought, honestly, I, I feel embarrassed to say it, but I felt like it was skill for so long because yeah. I was in that space. Mm-hmm. You know, with athletes, because you train an athlete, as you know, yeah. I know you've done the same thing, you know, to train athlete to focus, to do certain things, to block out distractions. And, and those are skills that you actually do learn and yeah. you get better at over time as you practice them. But predisposition is predisposition. And so a lot of it was just luck of the draw. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, yeah, what you're bringing with this association, I think is going to be so meaningful across the board and is going to help so, so many people. So really, really glad that this is launching and definitely want to talk more about it. But at this point, want to kind of shift gears because you're a widely published author. And I want to hear a little bit more about your books, your writing and what your favorite book is and why. Well, the last book, I've written 12 books. The last book I wrote was co-authored with Tom Matthews called How Money Works. And uh, we've had a lot of success. It sold over half a million copies in the last couple of years since it came out. And basically just teaching people the, you know, we realized at some point that the average person has no idea how money works, not even at the basic level. We did classes. We have about 10,000 people around the country right now doing classes in companies and schools and all over the place because it's a real basic book. And we realize that every day that people are, you know, financially illiterate, they really don't understand the basics of how money works, which means they don't have much of a chance with money, which is why in the richest country in the world, most people, you know, can't afford a $400 emergency, even though they're making pretty good money. uh, They just don't know what to do with it. And it's really not their fault. It's not taught in schools. And so that's, it's one of my favorite books just because it's so practical. But I think my favorite book that I ever wrote was the first one, which is 177 Mental Toughness Secrets of the World Class, which basically made my career. <laughs> it was the foundation of my career. It sold over a million copies and it's been very good for me you know, over the years. Gotcha. Awesome. And I have to say that I loved both of those books myself. You know, the the How Many Money Works book, very, very practical. The 177 Secrets book is also very practical, right? I love the way you break it down and just kind of give these nuggets of, you know, what helped these folks to succeed on this high level. So fabulous book. No, thanks. Absolutely. So, you know, Really curious, Steve, you know, so we've talked about how you're kind of wired towards the optimistic side, but still there have to have been challenges along the way. Tell me about how you sort of have overcome some of those challenges and sort of gotten to the point where you are today. Yeah. You know, one of the most recent challenges were for me, at least from a psychological standpoint and a physical standpoint was having COVID for five weeks. I had it twice. The first time I got it for five weeks and I didn't get out of bed. I didn't get out of bed literally just except to crawl to the bathroom, literally to crawl to the bathroom for three weeks. I lost 21 pounds in the first 10 days, just laying in bed, sweating. I mean, I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't even know you could sweat just laying in bed lose 21 pounds. I mean, by the fifth week, I didn't know if I was going to make it. My doctor kept me out of the hospital because he was afraid 
I wouldn't come out because there were so many people at that point. It was the height of COVID. Anyway, long story short, I, I made it out, obviously. But, you know, it really it really got me thinking more so probably than anything else. It got me thinking about how people that are feeling down and depressed, how do they go through every day? Because I've been fortunate, as I said, I, I've always been predisposed, you know, toward more of an optimistic, happy, kind of go lucky mindset. And at that point, I wasn't because I didn't think I was going to come out of it. And I just couldn't. It just it was hard to process it. it. That was the beginning of COVID. No one seemed to know how to treat it or what to do with it. I was really starting to feel depressed. And I hadn't really ever felt like that before. Not too many times in my life, really, ever. And I, I realized that so many people go through their entire lives like that. And it created a, a sense of empathy in me I probably never had before. And I hate to say that because it doesn't sound very nice, but it's probably true. You know, I, I really empathize with people more than ever. It's one of the reasons we wanted to create the association is I guess, you know, you get in a bubble and, and you're happy and you're doing well and things are going well and you have opportunities and just through luck, maybe or whatever it is. And it's easy to sort of shut out the rest of the world that's out there suffering. And I think I'm, I'm trying to be more open to it now and, and try to go back and help people that need it. Yeah, that's that's a powerful story. And that's that's really intense. And so I'm glad that you you recovered as you did, because that's, that's a horrible experience. And, and I'm sorry about that. Gosh. And you bring up that point, you know, sometimes it is kind of hard to put yourself in another's shoes, you know, the sort of person who's suffering until you've been there, regardless of what the suffering is. So that's a really, really interesting and important sort of insight that you shared. And really sounds like it's at the foundation for kind of how the foundation has come to be. And did did you and Dawn sort of discuss this together? Did it just pop into your mind? Did you have your sort of group of advisors how did how did that happen or was it just something you decided one day like wow i'm going to start this thing We've been talking about doing it for about five years, but initially it started out being we just wanted to band together all the people around because we've worked internationally. Well, within about 10 with about 10 countries, we've had offices in over the years. Mm -hmm. So mostly in the Western world and so not everywhere, but enough internationally where we knew there were so many people in personal development that love personal development, that believe in the books. They say 95 percent of Americans think it's all gobbledygook. It doesn't mean it's all BS. It doesn't mean anything. And they're wrong. I mean, it maybe it's been overplayed to the point where, you know, I think myself into being rich or I think myself into a parking space when I'm, you know, at the grocery store, some nonsense like that. But, you know, we say, throw, my thought's always been, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, it's been overplayed, but so have other things. The foundation, the essence of it is, I think, like the essence of basic psychology, which is what it really is, I think. It really strong. I mean, it's really hard to argue with it. And so we had the idea of banding together all these personal development people about five years ago. But after after the COVID thing and after the world kind of just, you know, seems like it's on fire to this day, it seems like it's almost getting worse instead of better. We thought, you know what, maybe the direction should be not so much about just celebrating and promoting personal development. Maybe it should be about reducing suffering, you know, because people are suffering at a high level. And if, and if I don't know what higher calling there is in the world than reducing super, so human suffering, but I think it's certainly up there. And if you had enough people to do it, to band together, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a, a quick example. It's, not, it's a silly story, and it probably sounds silly to your listeners, but it, it made an impact on me. I was telling my wife a few years ago, I said, when we were talking about this, I said, you know, when I was president of the DECA club, basically the, the sales club, it used to be in, in high school. It's a national organization in the, in the US here. I was president. We did good deeds for the community. And one one day, this is 35 years ago, but- we decided back when you could do this, now you couldn't do this, but because of the legal things, but we actually went to the sh animal shelter and we got a bunch of puppies at the animal shelter, about six puppies. 
And we took about 10 kids to a retirement home where it was not on the best side of town. And they gave us permission. And we had the puppies playing with the with the retirees who were very old and sick. And I've never seen people ha- go from so sad looking to so happy in my entire life, Kate. Little, these little puppies, we didn't know what was going to happen. I said, what's going to happen? I said, well, who knows? We'll find out. Yeah. And they, they, we put, after an hour, they were, they were playing with the puppies. They were so happy. And the, the administrators were crying. I mean, they're saying, we've never seen these people come to life like this. And these are little puppies. It was only an hour. And we packaged up the puppies to go. And they said, when, when can you bring the puppies back? When can you? We didn't have any plan to go back. We just were doing it as a part of our club in high school. Yeah. And, uh, and we we were getting the, the the teacher was getting calls the entire year from the retirement saying our people want to know when the puppies are coming back. We brought them back one time. We got oh. permission. But but my point of is there's something that pedestrian that's simple that could add to human happiness even for an hour. I thought, my God, there's some real power in very simple gestures like that. What if we could do that on a global scale, even if the gestures were very simple and childlike almost? If it brings happiness to people, that could be a very powerful thing. And that's when we started to change the focus of the association. That is very, very cool. And I love that story, by the way, and actually reminds me or or is exactly like something that I'm doing right now. I'm, tra- I'm training my one-year-old Brittany Doodle as a therapy dog. And ever since last February, we've been going to assisted living facilities on Saturdays. And so I've sort of experienced exactly what you just mentioned, the smiles and the looks of happiness that come over the faces of these residents as they're petting Wally or they're petting any of the other dogs that are with us. It's amazing and so, so powerful and not complicated, right? Just kind of walking in with my dog and the smiles that, that emerge. It's, it's really, really powerful. So I love that point. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can be very yeah, exactly. simple gestures. I think on, a, on a, a basic level, we're all pretty simple and and there, and just to just to be able to reduce suffering for someone that maybe is depressed or feeling down or feeling hopeless, just for a short period of time, and let them know that hey, somebody cares, and there's a way to pick your feelings up that can make you feel better. If we can just do a little bit of that, we'll have succeeded. Absolutely, absolutely, and it can be right as simple as sort of daily affirmations that you're putting out on social media or what have you. And I've seen seen a few from the association, and I think they're very powerful. They've actually brought brought some smiles to my face or some some sort of oh yeah that that really makes sense type of feelings. And I think that that is so so valuable what you're offering. So I'm really curious. I always am very interested in sort of you know how mentors play in. And so for you, Steve, who who have your mentors been over time? Who's, who's sort of helped you to build to the point where you are now? Yeah, I've I've been just so fortunate. I've had mentors my entire life since I grew up on the national junior tennis circuit. I was six years old. I had mentors guiding me every step of the way. And I recognized pretty early through coaching, of course, that mentors were the coaches were the secret to the whole thing. I mean, you could learn it yourself for sure. If you were talented enough to learn whatever you're trying to learn, you can still can, but it takes too long. And if you have someone guiding the way that really has your best interests at heart, I, if there's any, I don't know if there's a secret to success, but if there is one, that's gotta be it. It's gotta be right up there at the top. You know, I've been very fortunate. I mean, you know, for the speaking business and it was Bill Gove, the father of professional speaking, and then Bob Proctor, who was a student of his, was my mentor until he died about six months ago. And Larry Wilson was a mentor of mine for 15 years, who was a, a corporate consultant who taught me that entire business from scratch. I never even had a corporate job and I became a successful corporate consultant for many years and just because of mentorship. So 
I don't think mentorship can be the, the importance can be overstated. It's just the fast track to any kind of success I think you want to achieve. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And it sounds like you've had some really, really incredible mentors, incredible experiences as a re- as a result of the mentoring. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just just someone taking you by the hand and guiding you and saying, hey, here's a pitfall. Don't go there. And then, you know, here, now here's a good, here's do this, do that. And if I think if you're a good student, I think that's part of it. You've got to be willing to submit yourself to the strategy of the mentor. And if you're going to argue or fight the mentor, then you probably should get a new mentor because it's not the way to do it. But I think if you really are strict in terms of you know, you're, you're coachable, let's say. The sky's the limit. You can do any, as long as you have the right person. And I think people really enjoy being mentors that have su- su- succeeded in whatever they've done. Yeah, absolutely. And you you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, obviously, you've been coachable and the importance of being coachable is is vital. So that's, that's and so you're you're out there mentoring. You're a mentor for many, I imagine. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to give back to it, you know, because it, it just goes so fast. You know, one day you're the mentee and you're the green yeah. mentee. And then the next day, all of a sudden you have gray hair and you're the mentor. Someone, I needed an email somewhere in the middle where someone <laughs> says, hey, you're going toward the gray hair part. <laughs> one day I was the, the, the youngest person giving a speech in the room. And then the next day, now I'm the oldest person. I just was out in California working and there were 2000 people out there. And I, I was literally, I, I mean, in the, one of the oldest people in the room. And I don't know how that happened so fast, but it was pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bummer how that happens, right? We all of a sudden look in the mirror and we're like, oh, shoot, we're not 25 anymore. Yeah, exactly. Kind of a bummer. So you've mentioned tennis a couple of times. Tell me a little bit about that, your career in tennis. Are you still playing, for example? Yeah, we built a court here at our at our house a couple of years ago, three right before COVID, and which is crazy. But we built a tennis court here, so I'm playing. I play in the in the, at the house here, but sometimes, but about once a week. But yeah, just I grew up in the national junior tennis circuit. I was groomed to be a professional tennis player for 18 years, and I, I made it in the about to the top 500 in the world. You can barely make a living at that level, so I, I didn't make it quite as high as I wanted to. But I was able to leverage it into a coaching career to coach some top tennis players, which got me into coaching other athletes and mental toughness. And then eventually I did turnarounds basically with corporate America for, you know, 23 years and whatever success I've been able to have, it's been the foundation was the competitive and the sportsmanship and all the coaching that came from playing tennis. That's just awesome. And I imagine the timing of the tennis court right before COVID, not bad actually, because you've probably been out there with a ball machine or, or with, you know, a friend here and there and just great outlet, right? Yeah, well, we we had built a gym on the facility on the it's a six acre property and there's five buildings and so one of the buildings we made a gym. So during COVID, it was it was actually a my mother called me from Chicago. She says, "How you doing?" I said, "Well, I'm living in a resort. I guess so. (laughs) I got the gym. I got the tennis court. I got everything. So so in that way, it was actually pretty lucky. And I wasn't on the road. I've been on the road for twenty you know twenty plus years and. I realized finally why people get so much done in their life because they're home all the time. Of course you get all this. I was, I've been on airplanes for 20 plus years and uh, being off them was just a treat. I, I never want to go back to that life ever again. It's it's too good being home. Right. Gotcha. And so do you think this is a sort of a shift? You're sort of going to be, be home now, sort of refocusing things post COVID? Yeah, we're we're just finishing up a world-class studio here with, with this property we, we live. It's called Bone Allen Mansion. It's an old historic mansion outside of Atlanta, a six eight property. And so we're just finishing up a world-class video studio. And so we're going to be broadcasting. Uh, we can have about, about 40 people in the studio live and the rest of it, we're going to be live streaming, you know, kind of like you and I are now uh, live streaming around the world to the personal development association, of course, and other groups. And we're going to bring speakers in from all over the world to tape here and to broadcast here from the mansion. And so we're kind of resetting our entire business to be uh 
focused here. That is very, very cool and exciting. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of exciting sort of things coming up for you guys. And so that's, that's very, very cool. So what sort of advice do you have for folks out there listening in terms of building a successful career as an entrepreneur, as a speaker, as a professional development person? What can you tell us? Well, one of the things I would say is listen to your show. And I and I, I don't mean that like as a promo, promotional thing. I mean, really, because I tell you that, you know, and you and I know have talked on, we've known each other for many years and we talked offline about this, but one of the things that didn't come into play when I was coming up in, prof- in, in junior tennis was sports psychologist didn't really become a thing until in tennis until probably 1986, 87. Uh, my first exposure was Dr. Jim Lair, who I worked with over the years and great guy and great psychologist and whatnot. And he was big in the Olympic Olympic athletes and tennis players. And we worked together in Bradenton, Florida back years ago. But it didn't sports psychology didn't become, at least in tennis, didn't become a thing really a little bit till after my time. And right. I think now that if you get a grounding with either a sports psychologist like yourself, someone to take you through the fundamentals and help you navigate all the craziness, whether you're an athlete, which is crazy on its own mentally, because you have to be so, so solid in your thoughts and your beliefs and all these different things. And I think being an entrepreneur for 35 years is very relative to being an athlete, especially a solo athlete, like a tennis player or a golfer, where you don't have a team to rely on, or you don't have a team to blame, frankly, it's you. And there's a lot that goes to that. And having the grounding of what people like you do, professionals like you do, Kate, that gives you the psychological grounding and the framework to navigate all that craziness is an advantage. I wish I could go back as a kid and have that as a kid if it, if it was a thing back then, but it wasn't. I think that's why your, your show, I think, which is why I wanted to do the show, is very important because if people have that framework, you can really build on that framework. But if the framework isn't solid, I think people are going to struggle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great insights. And it's true because much of or or everything that I work with folks on and I teach folks is applicable across domains, right? For athletes and for entrepreneurs and for parents and, you know, for kids. So thank you for sharing that. I really, really appreciate it. So anything that you want to kind of leave us with in terms of we've covered a lot of ground here today, Steve, and I really appreciate your insights and your wisdom. And I think these are going to help a lot of people. Any last sort of tips or thoughts that you have as we wrap it up? I think just to encourage everybody to hang tough. You know, it's a it's a crazy time. We're all, you know, we all, there's no point in inciting the craziness because we all lived it every day and it's worldwide. I mean, it's all our clients around. The, I was just on a call before this the show that with a, a client of mine from Australia. It's crazy all over the world. Everyone's trying to figure it out. It's we're navigating technology, all the changes, the political yeah. polarization, the war. There's all these things going on. But I, I would encourage people to just be reminded of something you already know, which is this too will end. We will make it through all this as, as tough as it is. And to try to hold your head up, stay positive. This will end and we will come out stronger and better than ever before. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steve. And thank you for being here. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Kate. Congratulations on the show. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Well, thanks for being here for another episode of The Optimized Mind. And always, please share your ideas and feedback with me. And please, if you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the show. Until next week, onward. This has been a Mission Matters Network production. Listen to this show and browse our entire catalog by visiting missionmatters.com.